Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 41. And no Justin tonight, just Sam and I. Uh, we're talking dogs um, by week last week. And uh, obviously, it's been a, a, about a week and a half since our last recording. Main reason being I was in Hawaii for a week, so I was unavailable. Um, but back now, obviously, excited to talk dogs with Sam today. Sam, how are you tonight? And what are you sipping on, sir? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. I'm sipping on the OG. Jack Daniels is back in the house. So sipping that on a big cube. Right on. Trying to remember what this Oregon State game was all about after the <laughs> bye week. And oh yeah, we're re- reviewing that one today, aren't we? Yeah, unfortunately we are. And so kind of flush that out of my my memory. So I'll have to, you know, cough up some of that painfulness I had to eat. But yeah. <laughs> we'll get through it. How about we you? Will. How are you we'll do doing? It together. You just got back from a nice little vacation. You're looking nice and bronzed. Yeah, yeah. I got a little color, maybe a little of the color that I'm not supposed to get, that being red. <laughs> a little lobster-like. Um, but it's starting to turn into an okay tan that will be gone in like a week, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm good. It was it was a good trip to Hawaii. It was nice to get out of town for, for a few days. Um, got back off the plane, though, whenever I got back. And... Uh, about half the temperature of what I was, what I was in about, you know, five hours before that. So it got cold. Um, it's, it's officially Manhattan season folks. And and that's what oh, I'm sipping geez. on tonight. Um, so I, I twisted it up a little bit this time. Usually I just do whiskey and then our jammy sweet red vermouth. And I added mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, Mr. Black coffee liqueur. It's a cold brew coffee liqueur. Add oh. a little bit of that in there too. It, it adds a nice touch. So um, I got that from my father-in-law, Grant. If you're listening, shout out to you. Thank you for that. I'm I'm starting to use it in some of my, my Manhattans, and it's it's quite tasty. So, all right. Are you ready? Yeah, let's just do it. Rip it okay. off like a Band-Aid. It's going to be, listen, people, put your seatbelt on because I might get a little unleashed on this episode because I'm pretty fired up about how badly football yeah not not and we're going to get into a lot more than just the performance on the field against oregon state Mm -hmm. we're you know all the way through the bye week we're a couple days away from the ucla game and you know maybe someone like me had certain expectations of certain people (laughs) maybe not having jobs anymore that still do so we'll get into all of that but i guess just off the top connor like what's your initial thoughts on the game against Oregon state. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so bye week is a time of reflection, right? It always is. It kind of depends where it comes in the season, but, um, it's always bitter coming off of a loss going into, into a bye yeah. week. And, you know, it's a time of adjustments and stuff, and there's still definitely enough time in this season to turn stuff around. They have the talent to do it. I don't know if I have faith in the coaching staff that they can do it. But if we're talking about this Oregon State game that we're coming off of, um, it was a heartbreaking loss, man. Like, and it was a really, it was a really unnecessary loss too. Like we, 
we just didn't play clean enough football to win that game. That was kind of my overall takeaway uh, was, was just, there were way too many mistakes. We lost the field position game in a really bad way for the majority of that game. We were starting, starting our drives inside the 10 yard line, inside the 15 yard line. And our offense wasn't, wasn't converting any kind of first downs on those drives. So then Oregon state was getting a ton of short, short fields and they would, they took advantage of those. They, you know, credit them. They were able to score on, on those drives. Sorry, Sam, what are you going to say? Well, that's what I was going to say is on the flip side of the coin at Oregon state, I think every single scoring possession they had started on their drive started on our side, our half of the field. Yeah. Sometimes inside the 40, like I think, they, yeah, they started inside our 40 like three times or something like that. Yeah, they started. I mean, their their first touchdown, obviously, they only had to go 11 yards because we coughed off the, the fumble. Yeah. Then their next touchdown, they went 42 yards. Then they went 28 yards for a field goal. And then I guess the final drive, their, their, touch, their final touchdown, they did go 75 yards. Yeah. But still, I mean, like, they had way better field position than us basically yeah. all game. And it was, and it was like dramatic, dramatically yeah. different. Um, if we're talking like more specifically, I thought, you know, the first drive looked really good. Obviously Dylan Morris fires a dart to Terrell Bynum for a long touchdown. And, yeah. you know, we're off and rolling up seven zero. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we force Oregon state to punt the ball back to us. And, you know, on the road, especially it's, it's super key to be able to get off to like a nice lead against a team like Oregon state. And, you know, we, we did nothing with that next drive. And uh, I think it was the drive after that. Yeah. That uh, the defense ended up making a stop and then there was a missed field goal. And then we get the ball back again, up 7-0, with a chance to go up two scores. And we fumble it away two plays later. And that's when Oregon State starts getting some momentum in the game. Like, I thought that this was a game that we could have been up, you know, 17-20-0. Yeah. Probably pretty early. And if that happens, like, Jimmy talks about this all the time. Like, if we are playing with a lead and we are forcing our opponent to throw the ball, game over like yeah we're in a good spot we're 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 winning that game and so i mean that that's the that's the first thing that stood out to me and obviously that all revolved around dylan morris a lot of it did i think the the offense's ineptitude um the rest of the game for the most part Mm -hmm. um we did see the rushing attack start to start to come alive in the second half at least um i don't know if you you have some thoughts about that sam i seemed like that was our most effective offense was not having a quarterback for a while yeah. in the second half. We so. we definitely had that joke in the text thread a couple of times referring to Sean McGrew as QB1. Yep. our best quarterback in the wildcat formation. Um, so, yeah, we obviously had some success there with that. I think on those back-to-back big runs that he had, uh, mm-hmm. one of which he took for a score – I think we also caught Oregon state in a bad defensive look. And so that's why we ran the same play twice and we were able to rip chunk yardage. I think 19 yards on the first run. And then I think, you know, 
uh, his touchdown run had to have been 40 plus. Yeah, it was at least 30. I can't remember how long it was, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a long run. So I think we, you know, I'll take success on the ground, however it comes. But I think part of that was just catching Oregon State in a bad look on the in a really sure. good matchup for the play and the personnel we had on the field. But what really was promising to me is actually starts with the offensive line. So we swapped out Julius Bulow for mm-hmm. our starter from last year at left guard, MJ Ulumu Ale. And when he came in, it felt like the running game was really starting to hit a stride, particularly particularly with Kamari Pleasant back there, ripping off some chunk runs of five, seven, 10, 12 yard runs and very a pretty dominant drive. And so for me, that was really refreshing to see. It was the first time I felt like it looked like our running backs were getting some easy yards, holes were being created. And so I think part of that was the personnel change that I mentioned, bringing MJ Ulumu Ale back in as the starting left guard. But I also noticed that we started to call some more running schemes with a pulling guard, particularly with Ale, but I also saw Benavalu pulling from right guard to the left side, having some success there as well. And we just haven't seen a lot of that running scheme from this team early in the season. And I've just, we really had good success with that against Oregon state in the late third, early fourth quarter where that pulling guard was kicking out the end and creating a nice hole seemed like there was more space available for the running back to work in. Not everything was getting so clogged up. Part of what I love about that scheme is you're moving the offensive lineman around. It's creating space. You're not just lining up and pushing forward and your running backs running into not only the defensive line, but into the asses of their offensive line. So I think that that was my biggest positive takeaway from the game. I mean, obviously past defense has been great, not really tested in this game, but you hold the opposing quarterback below 50 yards for the second time this season, and you still find a way to lose the game blows my mind. So I think really, if I'm looking for positive takeaways, I think outside of the final drive, the pass coverage was legit as we'd expect from our defensive backs. And then seeing our first glimmer of hope in the run game was a really positive takeaway but that's pretty much the end of the positives you're going to hear out of my mouth on this episode. Yeah. And I mean, there was obviously a moment in that second half where it seemed like we were taking control of that game and we would, yeah. we would possibly pull, be pulling away. There was a huge change in momentum. Obviously you had the, the long McGrew touchdown run and then uh, that the ensuing drive on defense, we get, we get a turnover deep in Oregon state's end. We score another touchdown on the next play. Um, to a Taylor with the huge strip sack there. That was awesome to see. Again, again. that's like his second one of the season. He's, he's playing well. That's, that's the other positive that I would take out of this game. I thought, I thought there were like three defenders that stood out to me and that was to a Taylor. That was talky. It was good to see both of them like interior, like play well. And I thought that they held their own against a really yep. good Oregon state rushing attack. Um, they still put up, you know, 240 yards against us through the, through on the ground, but I don't think that was, that was their fault. Um, Bowman, I thought played pretty well too. Yep. Um, Tule played that, really well too. Tule did play well. Uh, I think Tua Tele is starting to, 
take some more snaps over him though. Yeah. Um, and I'd say to Atele and, and, and Taki are kind of the, the duo now that it seems like they're going with more often than not, but Thule is, is in there. He had a nice tackle for loss. Um, yeah. When Oregon state was deep and deep in our end, I think at some point earlier in the game too. Yeah. Um, and I felt so like was he was, seeing. I felt like he was generally disruptive as well. Mm-hmm. And that was another positive takeaway from our defensive line schematically, similarly to the offensive line schematic change that I was talking about. I noticed that we started aggressively slanting our defensive line instead yeah. of just trying to hold their ground, like penetrate, try to make something happen. And, you know, you're going to get gashed when you do that every now and then, cause you're sure. losing some gap integrity, but we saw it become a bit more effective in the run game when our defensive linemen are getting the penetration and getting the play off of, off of its timing, making the running back choose a different hole or choose a different path to run the ball to avoid the tackle for loss. And so while Tuli maybe doesn't show up in the stat sheet, I felt like he did a really good job of being disruptive while he was in there. It seemed like he was, battling some cramping issues throughout the game. So I think that's part of the reason he wasn't in there as much. Sure. But continuing on the thread, I mean, in the last five minutes of this episode, we've given props to the DBs and we've given props to the defensive line. Mm -hmm. Somehow they still ran for 250 yards. Yep. So I know we've been harping on it for two years, three years now. Our interior linebacker play is the reason why our defense isn't performing up to expectations. Because I think you know what? It wasn't just Jackson Sermon this time. It wasn't. Eddie Eddie had 14. Eddie had 14 tackles, but they were shit tackles. Like he did not make an impact on this game. He was getting pushed into the secondary multiple times in this game on rundowns. So our linebackers have been putrid. It was bad. It was really bad. Um and yeah, I'll even play better. I'll even add outside linebackers to that as well. I mean, yeah. I agree. Bowman had a couple of really key plays, but we're not getting any pass rush generated from Smalls, yep. McDonald. Bowman is a little bit not seeing anything from Braylon Trice. He flipped the double birds in like the second possession of the game and never saw him again. Uh, he got sat down after the personal pen or personal foul. Um, so, I mean, Connor, outside linebacker room is looking like we need a bolt of energy. And I, who, where do you think that's coming from? <laughs> <laughs> You're setting me up on a silver platter, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, folks, ZTF is officially practicing again. And uh, that, that could be a major, major impact on this, on this defense um, at a position that, I didn't think that it was going to be that steep of a drop off from him. I think Cooper McDonald has shown okay flashes, but he's not a difference maker. No. Um, ZTF is obviously that he's a playmaker. He's a difference maker. Um, and we don't know when he's going to be back, like actually playing in a game, but he has been like, he's been doing conditioning and like, practicing lightly like before this week and now he's in full pads like practicing full go well so i think that's the key thing is if he was in pads on monday which is what the reports and jimmy lake said himself 
-hmm. that means he's been practicing for at least a full week, full go, because you can't get into full pads unless you've had a couple of days in just shirt and shorts, a couple of days of upper, you know, shoulder pads and shorts, and then into full pads. So ZTF is playing on Saturday. How much? I don't know, but he's going to get into the game. Yeah. And that would be amazing. Even if he's in there for 10, 15 plays and um, if he's in there on some like obvious pass pass rushing situations or something like that, just to get him in there and see if he can, he can create a spark there. I mean, the pass rush has just been so abysmal all year. I mean, Tua Tele is like your leading sacker, I think, right. With two or three. Yeah. He's got, I know he's got, a sack in each of the last three games. So he probably, I don't know that he three, has maybe more four. than that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So, I mean, that's an interior lineman. Like, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's a good pass rusher from that point, but I mean, you're talking like we have a lot of talent at outside linebacker that is not getting it done. I mean, yeah. you got like Braylon Trice is the talk of camp. You, you just talked about him. You got Ryan Bowman who, I mean, I think he's been okay, but still like, not probably up to like his standard i would say at this point i think yeah he plays a lot better if you have a zcf on the other side right like oh, I mean, yeah. they're they're keying in on bowman right now um mcdonald i mean he's not really a pass rusher but still like a, someone who played his true freshman year so he's talented mm-hmm. you got savelle smalls one of the highest recruits to uw in recent memory and he's time, been an really. absolute yeah he's been an absolute zero for this team um i'm that that just boggles my mind i don't know how how that talented of a player can make zero impacts jeremiah martin a big transfer from texas a&m has been pretty much a zero at outside linebacker like that position group needs help and ztf would immediately help that that group out in a big way so I, I hope he's back this Saturday. That'd be great. That's kind of what I was predicting is that he would be back after the bye week. It just kind of made sense based on the, based on the timeline and report. Like the initial timeline was kind of like November. Everyone's been saying he's got ahead of schedule. So I was like, let's just shoot two weeks earlier, you know, than November two, three weeks earlier. And um, after the bye week makes sense, you know, especially if yeah. he was starting to starting to practice a little bit last week. So um interesting development and hope that he's back and there's a couple other guys that are hopefully going to be back after the bye week as well that we've been without for the last couple weeks game and a half or so kate otten obviously you know our best player right sam yeah yeah you know i will say i i don't want to make this political or anything but obviously kate is not vaccinated based on the protocol that he was he was required to go in and it, it's it's disappointing just from a competitive standpoint to me that he would put the, the team in that position. I'm not going to go and tell a guy what he needs to do or anything like that. But you know the obligation that you have to this team. You know how much you mean to this team. And you know what the protocols are if you make the decisions that you're going to make this year. Yeah. And obviously he made the decision that he, that he did he got COVID or got exposed to COVID and he was in a 10 day, 14 day protocol. Um, so he's been out the last two games and, you know, especially this last Oregon state game, he might've been the difference in that, in that game. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you, definitely you have him been. back, you have him back and 
maybe maybe Dylan feels a little more confident throwing the ball to his his favorite target. So um, disappointing, but obviously a welcome a welcome addition back if he is indeed back for the UCLA game, which all all signs point to that being the case. Um, and then uh, someone that we missed out there, I think, quite a bit in that Oregon State game in Buki. I I think yeah. there was a there was a big hole in that in in that uh that nickel position that he he's just he's one of those playmakers on defense you know and he 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 finds ways to make impacts on games in special ways and um that's not a trait that you can find in every player and I think that's that's unique to Buki and I I it sounds like he's going to be healthy enough to play in this UCLA game now after after rest of the bye week and obviously being out in, against Oregon State. So hopefully that's that's the, the development that that we're hearing and that's true and uh, that that we're we're back at full strength in that secondary come come Saturday. Yeah, I think that having him back will be a big boost to the defense. You know, we highlighted again that pass coverage was good interior defensive line play was in my opinion the, some of the best we've seen all year yep. but we still struggled defending the run the linebackers have been struggling like we mentioned and the best friend of a inside linebacker in run defending is a nickel that is at the line of scrimmage willing to throw their body around and be that additional tackler and for his own sake, I think Kyler Garden obviously got bumped into nickel. I think he plays really well at that position as well. But being able to have Kyler outside with Trent McDuffie, and I, to your point, I think Buki just brings an element not only in the run game from that nickel position, but we've seen him have a lot of success on designated nickel blitzes mm -hmm. and generate some pass, uh, pass rush, get you know the quarterback hurried. I think he's got a sack as well. He's so, probably our best DB blitzer since Taylor Rapp. Yeah, I would agree. And so having him back, I think, would really bring a boost to this defense. Um, I know we've kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked talking about the the exciting returns of three sure. players, but <laughs> we're trying to avoid us, talking about the game. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I don't I, I'm sitting here reflecting on what we've talked about so far, and I think we focused really heavily on the defense and right. I think for the most part, the defense played well enough to win the game. Outside of that final 75-yard drive, that was a huge collapse. The defense really just needed to be able to stand strong for one more series when we went up by seven, and they let them just cut through us like a hot butter through knife, yeah. or hot knife right through butter, rather. And, you know, I just don't want to sit here and really – put the blame on the defense when the offense was inept for the majority of the game. And I know you alluded it, alluded to it earlier, but Dylan Morris is not the guy. He was so bad. He was so bad after that first drive. Yeah. Um, it all started with the second drive. Like you have a, you have a third and one. First of all, I don't think he was helped out by that play call. I thought that, that was, was an bad. awful play call on third, third and one straight Again. drop back and trying to go to a slant like yeah that wasn't it um and it wasn't even it wasn't even like a quick slant it was like a 10 yards downfield eight yards downfield kind of an in route um but anyway the fact that you have no play action on a third and one just boggles my mind um and obviously morris just locks onto that first read 
And if it's not open, like, the play is kind of screwed. Yeah, he either um, forces it in there. I mean, that, that play was so bad on so hmm. many levels. The play call was bad. But as a Division I quarterback at the University of Washington, you have to be able to look, okay, my first read is a 10-yard slant. Hmm. That DB, they're obviously in man coverage, and the DB is playing with inside leverage. That's a no-go that. before yeah. I snap the ball. Yep. Like, I even know that. Mm-hmm. So we need to expect more out of our quarterback to be able to, you know, part of it is for sure putting our offensive players in a position to have success. Yes. But that quarterback needs to be a coach on the field and needs to put his playmakers in a, in a, in a place where they can have success as well. Mm. And We'll shit on John Donovan in a minute, but like Dylan, John Donovan can't audible out of that play for Dylan. Sure. Like he needs to be able to go up to the line of scrimmage and be like, I know that at least that route is not going to work based on what I'm seeing from the defense, either look somewhere else in the pass play or check it down to a run or something. But time and time again, we see Dylan Morris just kind of panic deer in the headlights and force the ball, give up on the play, check it down too early, throw it away. And quite honestly, there's a couple of things, a couple of changes that I have been hoping we would make in the bye week We didn't do one of them, which I'm sure we'll talk about later again, but I want to see Sam Heward against UCLA. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm that's where I'm at. Don't I've seen what Dylan Morris can give us and we can argue whether it's a lack of coaching to chalk up his regression year over year. Cause I liked what I saw out of him in 2020 and he's been awful in 2021. And, you know, I, I watched the Texas and Oklahoma game this past weekend. And it was just, there were two themes in that game that just made this Husky season feel even more painful to me. The first is around quarterback play that we've been talking about. They had the number one odds on favorite Heisman candidate going into the season and their quarterback at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler. He was playing piss poor against Texas. They were getting shellacked down by 21. They benched the odds on Heisman favorite for a true freshman five-star Caleb Williams And that kid came in and had the biggest comeback in the Red River rivalry history. And Oklahoma won the game. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be as dramatic of an impact for the Huskies bringing in our five-star quarterback that was going back and forth with Caleb Williams as being the number one quarterback in their class. But God damn it. Like, Heward is legit. And there's going to be growing pains. I'm tired of what I'm seeing from this offense with Dylan Morris at quarterback. I want to see what it can do when you have a supremely talented quarterback at the helm, there will be mistakes, but I guarantee you there will be more prolific plays, more chances, more aggressive throws being made 100%. So that was my first theme that really made the, the season feel painful for me. What are your thoughts on that? And then I can go into my second tirade. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not like I've been a defender of 
of Dylan Morris, but I have not been beating the drum for Sam Heward nearly as hard as you have um, all season. This is the game that changed it for me, though. Yeah. Um, and it, it, w- it was the fact that, like, it's kind of like same shit, different day, but it was it was even worse in a lot of ways. Um, just he couldn't get off of his first read. It was just, it was mind blowing to me that he couldn't get off of his first read in this game. And even just having a quarterback that can go through his progressions, someone like Sam Heward would do enormous potential to this offense. Like as far, like it, it would, it would make such a difference in this offense just to have a quarterback that can hit his second or third read. Even if that's just half the time, like, this is a pro style offense. It's not, it's not a run and shoot. It's not a spread offense where there's one read and you just go there. Like that's not what this is about. This is about going through your progressions. And if your first guy isn't open, you have a second read, you have a third read. If stuff's breaking down, you have a check down or you throw it away or you take off and run. Like these are the decisions that need to be made in a very quick way and Dylan Morris is a deer in headlights back there. And you can tell that the game is just too fast for him right now. It's super weird too, because like you were talking about regression, that in t- the, the reason that I've been defending, I guess, again, not really defending, but like I've been in Dylan Morris's corner a little bit is because he was such a gamer last year towards the end of yeah. games, right? Like he, he showed that playmaking ability of just like kind of, you know, the ice in his veins, like he was a clutch player towards the end of games last year not even close not even remotely close to that this year and i don't know where that's gone i don't know i don't i mean maybe that was a flash in the pan last year i mean that's that's the best thing that i can come up with at this point because you're seeing no playmaking ability from dylan morris um beyond like the first drive and a half of of games when it's all scripted and he knows where he's going yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it, the convenient argument is like, oh, well, blame John Donovan, the QB coach for the regression. But I'm looking at it from a non-biased place. And let's just talk about facts. This is the same damn coaching staff and the same damn team as last year offensively. So there's no reason why Dylan Morris shouldn't be able to perform at the same level or better than he did last year. It's the same offensive line in front of him, the same running backs, the same tight ends, the same wide receivers. Like there's better no wide receivers, better wide receivers. There's no excuse for him to have the kind of regression that he has had. So yeah. I, I mean, think the, the one excuse that I will give him is the offensive line hasn't played that well this year. They have. He hasn't, he hasn't had great protection, at least like in, in portions of games. But I don't think that was really the case against Oregon State. I think I think yeah, that was I agree. that was that was a key thing that changed for me too. Is I feel like some of the struggles that he was having earlier in games was due to some like legit pressure in his face. Sure. But like for for instance, he had, he got a little bit of pre- he he was under a little bit of pressure on the interception that he threw. But my God, what a fucking awful throw! He's trying to check it down to Sean McGrew five yards in front of him and he sails it 15 yards downfield. I mean, he missed him. Like I, uh, that was, he gunned it too. Like, I'm like, where are you going with this ball? 
Yeah, I have he's no looking idea. at Sean McGrew and he throws it over here. It was I had a, I'm speechless. I have no I don't know if it just slipped was. out of his hands, but like literally all he had to do was just, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes or a, a Russell Wilson just flick with the ball to yeah. get Sean McGrew to check it down and let him get, you know, 6 6 to 8 yards. Or even just take a sack. Sure. Like whatever, I mean, yeah. do anything besides that. And then the yeah. other thing the other play that came to my mind and I forget exactly which drive it was within the game, but we had like a third and two and we dropped back to pass. He looks at his first read. It's not there. So he goes to check it down to Kamari pleasant. Who's by himself in the flats, like the easiest first down conversion I've seen in my life. And Dylan Morris throws it to the wrong shoulder 105 mile per hour fastball Kamari Pleasant had off to him that he even found a way to catch the damn ball but in the process of catching it gets all twisted up and falls down a yard before the first down never got touched nothing like that is such a terrible play from a quarterback there is no reason converting the fourth and one after that I think did we end up punting that I'm not sure how it ended I was irate because I, I think that, that, that was the fourth, fourth and one QB sneak I think no I think that was the fourth and one that we ran wildcat and we actually okay. converted it with McGrew but it then yeah been. obviously you had, but you had the later one that the was, point yeah. still stands like that's just yeah no for sure. another indicator of his lack of ability at the quarterback position where you're not under pressure you're going to your check down he's all by himself you only have to pick up two yards throw a meatball out there that your grandma could catch and then let him walk two yards for the first down. Like there's just, there is a level of finesse to the game that he does not have at all. And we've seen that as a theme throughout the season. That was just yet another play. The play that you mentioned where he threw the interception that somehow the pass was intended for McGrew, I guess. And then the pass to pleasant that, put us in a fourth and short position that we should have never been in in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. And like, I've never, I haven't defended Morris this season and I've been banging the table for Heward, but yep. like, I also can understand why you don't make a quarterback change in those first five games, like week in, week out, you're jumping right into the next game prep. And like, it's hard to get the backup quarterback ready to go coming off of a bye week is the time to do it. You have had two weeks to game plan for UCLA. You've had two weeks to communicate to the team, to the individual players. Like we're going with Heward. This is the game plan. We're going to get him up to speed. Make sure he gets starter reps for two weeks rolling into the game. Like I need to see that from the coaching staff. And I'm fearful that I'm not going to see it. Yeah. And I mean, if the depth chart lends any, hint there then it's going to be Morris again but we all know that the the depth chart is just a grain of salt type thing we don't we've seen surprises before when it comes to the depth chart but um my inclination is they're still going to start Morris um but you're right I mean this would this would be that you're is Sam Hewer the future yes you're two and three you're two and fucking three right now yeah like this like what what are you trying to do with this season at this point like if if you're one and one 
you're if you one stay one the in course, the you're probably missing a bowl. Yeah. You're one on one in the conference. And as shitty as the season has been, there is a world where the Huskies can still play in the Pac 12 championship game. Oh, yeah. The North is open, wide open. It's probably going to be a two loss team in conference that 100%. Yes. You have to make the change. Have I convinced you? Did you even need to be convinced? Or were you? I didn't need to be convinced after the Oregon State game. No way. Yeah, I was totally on that train after the Oregon State game. Yeah, so um, we got to see. I, I, was, I wasn't that until I had watched it. Like, I, I I, didn't watch it live. As you know, I was in Hawaii. We didn't have Pac-12 Network down there, blah, 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 blah. Um, but when I watched the replay, I was like, yeah, this dude. This dude's not getting it done. You can't beat, you know. It. We love Sephardo. <laughs> we love the Beavs. <laughs> but there's a reason why we won fucking nine in a row. Like. Yeah. It's a different caliber of program. You need to be at Oregon State. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, there's, way, there's way too much talent on this team to not be beating Oregon State, even in Corvallis, even when they're like possibly a good team, but then lose to the Cougs the next, the next week. So um, upsetting game. Yeah. Very upsetting game. Um, Absolutely. Very frustrating. Should we move? But I know we have to go on. talk about UCLA at some point, but I... I want to spend some additional time here talking about just like where the state of the program is. And I know I've been kind of alluding to it around my thoughts around John Donovan. I was in the camp where similarly to the changes I wanted to be see see made at the quarterback position, I wanted to wake up Monday morning and have Jimmy Lake announce in his press conference, John Donovan is gone. Here's our interim plan. We're making changes. We're five games in. It's broken. It's not working. We've tried to fix it. John Don's tried to fix it. He can't. We need to make changes. And that hasn't happened. And so sure. John Donovan is going to be here till the end of the year. That's 100% yeah. true. And yeah. so going back to the Oklahoma and Texas game that I was referring to, just watching both Lincoln Riley's offense and Steve Sarkeesian's offense and their, their route concepts and some of the, the past designs that they had that are so basic that I've taken for granted because I have not seen us run it one time. Texas is going down. This is early in the, in the first half, maybe the second quarter. And they're going to score like their third or fourth touchdown in a row. They're down to maybe like the 10 yard line. They get man coverage. They have two wide receivers out to the wide side of the field and they run a simple pick play. I mean, I know that's not what you're supposed to call it, but that's what it is. Mm -hmm. The wide receivers cross the goal of one wide receiver is to just run his defender into the other defender. So then the other wide receiver basically runs wide open by himself. Easy pitch and catch for a touchdown we haven't seen that one time this year that is like the most basic pass concept in 2021 college football and the nfl everybody does it i haven't seen us do it once not one time so that pissed me off and then you take that into the context of the third and one play call that you referenced earlier and then the even more asinine play call i've ever seen in college football 
we're down at the goal line. It's third and one with like one or two yards, or this is at the end of the half, I think. Oh God. Yeah. This is at the end of the half and we're going down. Yep. And I we, know what you're talking are, about. we have one play. There's like five, just five, five seconds that, left in the game. There ended up being four, three or four seconds, I think, for the field goal. So there had to have been seven like seconds, eight, eight to nine seconds. Yeah. Something like something that. Like yeah. that. And it's third down. We only have one play left. No timeouts. I'll repeat that. The Huskies have no timeouts. We have one play to run before we have to kick a field goal. Do you think we're going to run the fucking ball? Uh, no. Everybody knows that. What, what play does John Donovan call? A play-action pass. Play action bootleg. Uh, you think Oregon State was fooled by that bullshit? We were in I formation. You wasted two players yep. on the premise that you're going to fake Oregon State out, thinking that you're going to run it. Our fullback and our running back were taken out of the play completely by that play design. So you have two wide receivers against seven Oregon State defenders. That's never going to work. I can't get over that. That to me is the biggest fireable offense of John Donovan all year. Yeah. In the most pretty bad Oregon state knows what you're going to do. Everybody watching the game knows what you're going to do, or rather they know what you can't do. You can't run the ball because if you get tackled short, the, the half is over and you get zero points. They know you have to pass and you try to fake out like you're going to run. And in the meantime, you're going to take two of your skill position players and use them as decoys. It was the dumbest play call I think I've ever seen, honest to God. Like, I don't know how that's not a fireable offense. And so that's why I was just like, Monday, he's got to be gone. I don't care if we don't have a great contingency plan with someone in-house that has called plays or not. Like, I don't care what it is. I have to believe that a defensive coordinator could have called a better offensive play in that situation like it's just obvious to me so obviously you can tell i'm pretty fired up about it and i'm just pissed because i'm scared that i'm gonna roll into this ucla game and i'm gonna see the same shit from john donovan because he hasn't been fired yet and i'm gonna see number nine under center and we're gonna see same shit different day for the rest of the season and it's gonna be painful as hell and then the state of the program is just going to continue to get run into the gutter. You already see Husky players, dads basically alluding on yeah. Twitter that our best players are already going to go into the transfer portal. Savelle Small's dad is piping off that Savelle's gone. Romo Dunze's dad is piping off that Rome is going to be gone. Jalen McMillan would probably be smart and wise up and leave as well. So I'm hitting the panic button right now in the bye week. If we don't see some sort of indication that this coaching staff recognizes the failure that has happened in the last five games and make some sort of change, even if that's only changing the quarterback because you didn't fire offensive coordinator, even if it's just that I'll feel a little bit better knowing that they recognize that it's fucking broken. If that doesn't happen, Husky football is headed towards the absolute dweller, like seller of the P5 
Pac-12. And that is – that's Jimmy. That's on Jimmy. Yep. It is. So I don't know where you want to go with that, but I just poured my heart out right there. <laughs> Dude, that was pretty deep. I don't think I can follow it up with my own rant. Um, the only thing I'll add to it is that uh, I think the thing that has concerned me the most about the coaching staff is Jimmy Lake's laissez-faire lack of sense of urgency about the situation revolving around the program. Yeah. Um, he seems to think that uh, – a loss against Oregon state on the road and losing multiple recruits uh, during the season is just, you know, the way of college football these days. And, you know, we're doing fine. Still, we're still fired up about the guys that we have here and the players are hungry to get back out there and play someone and hit someone, which is all coach speak. I get that and everything. And maybe it's different behind closed doors, but he has to recognize the fan base is extremely frustrated with how this season is going with the state of the program as it pertains to recruiting and the overall direction of where it's going, the coaching staff, uh, the lack of accountability, I think, for the way that, yeah. that everything is going um, as it pertains to Husky football. So... Unfortunately, I don't think we have the AD that's going to fire like Jimmy if he doesn't no. get it done this year. Like he's going to get another year no matter what, I think. Um, but if, 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 if this season trends the same way that it has been going, he should be gone. He should be yes, gone 100%. because it's all, it's all under his watch that all of this is happening. Yes, he was dealt a bad hand. We've we've all we've all stated that from the beginning. But half of that stuff, every college coach across America had to deal with as well, as it pertains to COVID and stuff like that. You know, like yeah. I mean, like that's that's relatively an, an even playing field. And I feel like he keeps using that as an excuse for some things. Um, yeah, it's it's mind boggling to me. It's mind boggling to me just because I. I think we both agree that the, this seemed like a like a home run hire, and maybe it is. Like maybe maybe it turns around miraculously, but it just doesn't seem to be trending that way. Um, I couldn't agree more. And the one piece of color that I'll add to your you insinuating if the season continues the way that it has, Jimmy Lake should be fired. I one hundred percent agree with that. And for me, the key element of why I feel that way is I would feel differently if we went four and eight and five and seven. And I was like, I can reflect on the season week after week and feel like, God damn, like the season just didn't go our way. We lost these games, sure. but like, it was obvious to me. I could see it as a fan watching the games that Jimmy Lake and this coaching staff are trying to do something differently, trying to fix things. The thing that I can't get over and just totally rips my heart out as a Husky fan that loves this program is the fact that you don't see any of that. And that's your accountability comment as well as, and how laissez-faire he is in these press conferences where, well, he's got, he's got smartest man in the room syndrome, dude, yeah. <laughs> it's in a bad way, in a major like, way. And it's yeah. totally driving he, the program. And, and if, if it keeps this way, he looks like the dumbest fucking dude in the room. Yeah. So like I saw a really interesting comment. I'm sorry if I'm cutting you, you're you off here, but 
I saw a really interesting comparison today and I actually thought about it and I'm like, that's kind of bang on. And they're completely different uh, characters, but Jimmy Lake is this generation's Keith Gilbertson. Yeah. Great coordinator, great, great coordinator, coach. great position coach, awful head coach. Yeah. He's that's what, headed that way for sure. That that's, that's what we're seeing at this point. And again, this could all change. Like maybe they, they have the talent, <laughs> like all what, what Sam said rings true earlier in the podcast. They have the talent that they could win the North this year still. And if that happens, great. We're back off and rolling again. You know, yeah. if we make a Pac-12 championship appearance, sick. But um, there, it, it's it's not really a miracle, I would say. But like they're gonna, they need a drastic turnaround. And and the two things that you pointed to would be the easiest ways for that drastic turnaround to happen. And it doesn't seem like those are going to happen. Um, one for sure, and then two, we're not quite sure yet, but it doesn't seem like it's going to. I'd be shocked. Quarterback. I'd be shocked if Sam Heward is your starting quarterback on Saturday. Yeah. But again, just driving my my point home there is, if we go four and eight, five and seven, miss a bowl game, and it feels like this was a learning experience for Jimmy Lake and the staff, he takes his dose of humble pie, and admits that like things aren't going well he's trying his best we're all trying our best and you can see those efforts to make things better manifest themselves in the games regardless win or loss column like we we're trying different things i feel a different way but the fact that to your point jimmy lake has the smartest man in the room syndrome and he can't change he's been super stubborn on both sides of the ball if that mentality at the head coaching position remains, we're not going to see, I don't have any, re the only way that we win the Pac-12 North is if Jimmy Lake is like, Hey guys, I've been doing an awful job. Like we need to figure this out. I need your help. Blah, 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 blah. Reaching out to advisors that he has, whether it's Chris Peterson, a Jeff Tedford, whoever it is, like, I need help. Somebody help me. Like we need to fix this. Like, unless that happens, there's no reason for us to expect us to see anything different for the rest of the season. And that's the thing that's going to be the most painful aspect of yep. the remaining, what do we have seven games left in the season Yep. Yep. is the fact that we're going to see this shit repeat itself week after week. We're going to listen to Jimmy Lake say the same shit week after week. And that's something that I I'm not cool signing up for. And if that's going to be the way that it is, I have no problem with Jimmy Lake being fired. And I'm always been on like, you need to give college coaches time to implement their program. Like this least, program is, this program has already been implemented though. That's totally, that's true. It is still a new coach. So like I go into this Jimmy Lake era with some leniency, like my expectations, you know, obviously I thought that we could go 12 and 0, but I don't want to rob Jimmy Lake of the same leniency I would give to someone outside of the program coming in. It's like, mm -hmm. that's where I initially start with him. It's like, okay, this is like a two to three year thing. Let's see what we got in Jimmy Lake. Like, I think it'll be really good, but if it doesn't go as well as I think it will, 
you know, maybe let's give him a couple of years and see if he figures it out. If not, let's move on. But what I've seen in the first five games of this season, and if it continues the rest of the way, I have zero faith that it will ever get better under Jimmy Lake ever. And at that point, if you can tell yourself that, and you really believe that you have to make a change. And so I'm never going to be the person clamoring for head coaches to get fired in their second year. That's not who I am. That's I've never been that way, but this is different to me. Like this is such a massive failure. If we don't see any attempt, any obvious attempt on the field on Saturdays to make changes. And we haven't. Yeah. And we likely won't. Yeah. Well, and it's the context of the state of the program and roster that he was given whenever he started too. like, that's, that's a huge piece in this, Sam, is that he should have success (laughs) from the beginning because of, of the tools that were around him as it comes to player talent, as it comes to the recruiting classes that yep. Chris Peterson had helped him build. Um, in, in terms of the, the program that Chris Peterson built, as far as, you know, your the whole built for life motto and all the program that goes along with that. And, uh, you know, the kids in the program talk about that, you know, and, and it attracts recruits too, because it's, it's turning, young boys into men and all that kinds of stuff and life after football. So all of that was in place. <laughs> he has managed to um, at least make it messy. I wouldn't say he's royally fucked it up yet, but it's heading that direction. Yeah. Um, so ask me it, in December if it's been royally fucked up. Yep. Yep. We'll know. <laughs> It'll be pretty obvious. We'll know. Yeah. All right, man. Let's look ahead. Let's yeah. Look ahead. Let's do it. Uh, Two and three, <laughs> not good, but one and one in conference. We only have one conference loss. It sucks that it was at, at Oregon State. Um, but everything's still on the table for this team. And we'll, we'll probably say that again this podcast. And it all starts with this game against UCLA on, on Saturday. Uh, if we're talking series history here, UCLA uh, leads the series. One of the few Pac-12 teams that I think lead the series against the Huskies as far as like, like, uh, like a series history, 39 to 33 to, to two ties. Uh, they, they don't play as often as, as they used to, uh, when they were in the pac 10 because of the North South, um, divisions, but they last played in 2018 and UW has won two in a row. Um, I don't know what the latest line is, but I know that UW, opened as a one and a half point favorite <laughs> kind of shocked me um us being at home usually that that's like worth like three points so you could basically probably call this a coin flip game as vegas sees it but i was shocked that ucla wasn't wasn't favored in this in this in this game i will say that they have struggled as of late after kind of a hot start to the season uh they beat uh you know decently highly ranked LSU team who turns out it isn't really that good this year. So um, they got off to kind of like a flashy start with that win in the Rose bowl. Um, But then they had a loss to Stanford a few weeks ago. And then they, or no, they, they did, they beat Stanford. Sorry. They lost lost to to Fresno uh, state, Fresno state, and then Arizona state and back-to-back weeks. 
No, so they was one week lost to Fresno State in that heartbreaking loss, last second touchdown from Jake Hayner. Right. Then they beat Stanford at Stanford, That's thirty-five to okay. twenty-four, and then they lost to Arizona State, forty-two to twenty-three at home. And then they are coming off of a victory in Tucson against the Arizona Wildcats, thirty-four to sixteen. And that was a Friday night game, so they have had a little bit of a longer week. Is that right? We're obviously coming off a bye week, so we're we should be more well rested. But I think that was yeah. a Friday night game. Um, thanks for saving my bacon there. No worries. <laughs> I just have I there. just have Google in front of me. That's all. I choke under pressure. Uh, so obviously, kind of a it, it's a Chip Chip Kelly at the helm, and it's it's a it's a talented team. UCLA always has talent on their roster. Um, got some impact transfers as well this last year. We'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, but they never usually seem to kind of play up to the hype, I feel like. UCLA's never really been a football school, at least not for a long time. They've always been kind of a basketball school. Yep. So um, I'd, I'd say in recent memory, we've, we've not really had our way, but we've been the upper hand in this matchup against UCLA. Uh, if we're if we're focusing on this UCLA team, who are I mean, there's some obvious ones here, I think, but like who who are you looking at that we need to make sure that we're keeping in check? Um, maybe we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, um, they obviously have some some decent weapons, kind of a little bit all over the field, like sprinkled all over the field, and it kind of starts with their quarterback, but um, everything kind of revolves around their running game, and um, what do you have to say about like not only their running backs, but just their playmakers on offense and, and how can we kind of combat that if we're, if we're looking at the Husky defense? Yeah. I think my thoughts on it, you know, going into this game is if it goes the way that I think it will, it's going to look and feel a lot like that Michigan game where Michigan's running backs and offensive line dominated us and the game was never in contention and it was just an overall blue collar lineup in front of you, you know what we're going to do and we're going to do it anyways and dominate the game. And that really starts with the running backs. Zach Charbonnet is the real hot name in the PAC 12 this year. He's a transfer from Michigan. He's actually someone that the Huskies were in on recruiting out of high school. And when he announced that he was entering the transfer portal from Michigan. UW was a top school, uh, I think top two or three along with UCLA for his services. And he's really found a home for himself with UCLA. He's got 566 yards, averaging 6.4 yards per carry and seven touchdowns. Really big, strong, great balance, good vision type of running back. He's going to be problematic for this defense all game and our linebackers are going to be overmatched again and I think it's going to look and feel very similar to the Michigan game and or the Oregon State game if our offense can get a little bit going it might be a closer game towards the end but I think this is going to be a run heavy attack that we're going to face and I mentioned Zach Charbonnet obviously is the hot name but their second running back, Britton Brown, is a boss as well. Yeah, I mean, he's too. been quietly having a really good year, and he's kind of been in Charbonnet's shadows. 
but he's got 442 yards. He's also averaging 6.3 yards per carry, and he has four touchdowns to his name. Not to mention their quarterback can run with the damn ball too. He's got four rushing touchdowns himself. DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a really good quarterback. Um, Well, I don't know if I'll say really good good quarterback. He's a really, really good athlete. I still, there's a lot of questions around how good of a passer he is, but Mm -hmm. he can cause all sorts of problems for your defense in terms of using his legs to extend plays, pick up third downs, get touchdowns. Like I said, four touchdowns on the season for him already. So, I mean, that's how I look at this team. I know that they have some nice weapons on the outside in the passing game as well, but this is a team that really rides the back of their two running backs and the legs of their quarterback. And based on how the Huskies defense has looked this year, that's, that's a bad matchup for us. Yeah, it definitely, um, it, like it would lead you to think that this will go the same way as say a Michigan or, or an Oregon state game. Um, I would say the one thing that UCLA does have that those teams don't have is they do have some big play potential on the passing game. Um, you mentioned that DTR isn't really a great passer of the football and they don't pass the ball a lot, but when they do pass the ball, they're passing it downfield and they're explosive with it. Um, and they're mainly usually uh, those, those long passing plays are usually revolving around their wide receiver, Kyle Phillips, who already has six touchdowns this year, um, a long 75-yard touchdown being among those. He's averaging over 15 yards per reception. Um, pretty pretty, pretty explosive player for them on the outside. Yep. And then their tight end, Greg Dol- Dolchich, is one of the best tight ends in, in the country. And um, he's also – he's averaging over 18 yards per reception, also has a long of 75 and has a couple touchdowns as well. So um, those are the two guys that you're going to have to watch in the passing game. It's, it's primarily those two. There's a few others that have, you know, a handful of receptions, but those guys have basically half the receptions of, of their receiving core. So it really revolves around those two guys. So all I'm saying here is that um, we definitely need to stop the run first and foremost. Yeah. But we need to make sure that we're disciplined on the backside and we don't let anything get over the top of us. Those safeties need to make sure that they're covering deep. So I'm looking at you, Alex Cook. I'm looking at you, Asa Turner. I'm looking at, you know, Julia Servan, whoever else is in there at that yeah. safety position. Make sure no one no one gets behind you. Um, and it's hopefully McDuffie is even a little bit more healthy this week. And we got Kyler Gordon and we got Buki back and hopefully the secondary is, you know, all back to fully healthy again. And I think that would, that would help limit, limit their explosion on offense in the passing game. Um, if we're switching over to the other side of the ball, their defense is, it can, it can be had. They've, they've allowed some points this year for sure. Um, and I, th- if we can't score against UCLA, then this, I think, this uh this offense is doomed <laughs> the rest of the season uh, their pass defense in particular is really really bad sam i know you probably just want to run the rock against these guys especially because i think it's supposed to be kind of rainy on saturday but 
I I'm kind of tended to give some of our receivers some some opportunities in this game. Yeah, and, it's, it's honestly too bad Justin isn't here on this podcast because I'm fully oh no. in Breaking on news. on the passing game for the Huskies. We're we're set up to be a passing team. Like that's yeah. the realization through five games. I know we returned to a starting offensive line, returned to stable of running backs. They're not getting it done outside of that glimmer of 10 minutes in game time that we saw against Oregon state. We have we're been just able... running wildcat. The whole time. Unless we're running wildcat, which eventually they'll figure out. Yeah. So running the ball hasn't been working and it's been blatantly obvious to me as a Husky fan watching these games are most dangerous weapons on offense are Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Terrell yep. Bynum. They yep. need to get the ball eight times, each of them, like eight targets, each of them in this game. And I want Heward in at quarterback distributing the ball. And I agree. I think this is a defense that can be had through the air. And we need, again, going back to my tirade about Jimmy Lake and John Donovan and the stubbornness of this coaching staff, that's what I'm looking for to see the change. Like whether it's through the personnel of changing at quarterback or not, let's pass the damn ball. Let's get the ball to our most dangerous playmakers out at the wide receiver position. We have not done that outside of the Arkansas state game. We need to see that. So I, I normally am going to be the one here pounding the desk to run the ball. That's not what this team is built to do right now. I think Justin would be crying on this podcast, tears of joy, if he probably if he was is joining us. He probably is somewhere. as he's listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. That's great. Uh, so, if we're talking about this 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 defense for UCLA, though, the names that I have here are just kind of familiar names. I don't really have anyone that like stands out to me um, besides the defensive back that I have that I have here and. <laughs> You'll you'll realize why this defense can be had when I when I list off this defensive back stats that he's kind of like their leader. Um, but I'll start with the linebackers. Bo Calvert, that name should sound a little bit familiar. It's Josh Calvert, uh, former UW linebackers brother, um, is a part of the UCLA program. Josh is now, I think, with Utah. Is that correct? Yeah, he's at Utah. Yeah. Gotcha. And then uh <laughs> the infamous linebacker Ale Keho, Brandon Keho, from many many moons ago. Oh, I can't geez. believe he's still in college actually at this point. Um, but uh, once once a Husky technically um, was enrolled at UW and was on campus for what a few weeks. So there's a couple. There's a technicality there. He wasn't actually enrolled at UW yet. So okay. He signed his letter of intent and he had to get some credits to get admitted to college. And so when all the other freshmen in his class came up to campus for like the early fall start, he was in Seattle taking some sort of class that he needed from whether it was online or community college, local community college or whatever it was. So he was kind of, living on his own and the as the rumor goes per his family that the university of washington and chris peterson left him out hit to to dry basically 
and they claimed that he couldn't feed himself. He was rendered homeless and all this drama and shit while he was trying to get his class done. Long story short, didn't get his class done, went back home, never came back, never enrolled at UW and somehow found his way uh, on the roster at Alabama. Playing against the Huskies, I believe in that peach bowl. I don't think he was on the team yet. Oh, that would have been. Yeah. Why do I think, why do I feel like, no, he was playing in a semifinal or something for them. He was. Yeah. yeah, But it wasn't then. Yeah. He's technically a junior, which means he's probably in his fifth year or fourth year. Yeah. Somehow, some way. But anyways, Um, didn't pan out at Alabama either, obviously. Right. Yeah. And has since transferred to UCLA now. Um, so anyway, just a, a name to to watch and keep in mind there that he he does also have some husky ties. Um, if we're talking actually like somewhat talent, I guess on their on their defense, their defensive back Quantrez Knight um, leads the team in tackles, has three forced fumbles, has a sack and a half, and two pass deflections. So he's kind of like all over the place, but also if you have a defensive back leading your team in tackles, not usually a very good sign um, as far as your, your linebacker play goes. So this team, this defense can be had, like we should, we should put up some points against UCLA. Um, And like I said, if we, if we can't, then I, I think that spells doom and gloom for the rest of the season. All right, if we're turning our attention back to the dogs, who are some players that you have circled in this game? I mean, there you go a lot of different ways, I feel like, with with this game. And there's a lot of players that I think we're all intrigued by. And um, there's a lot of players that haven't played that well and haven't played up to their potential that need to play well and need to start playing well at this point in the season. But um, who are, who are you tuning in? or queuing in on, I guess, when you're watching this game against UCLA? Yeah, I think we've touched on a couple of them already. I'll take the low-hanging fruit here around some new faces for the season. Most namely, is ZTF going to be back? If he is, what's his impact? What's his snap count look like against UCLA? What does his impact on the game look like? So I think that's the big ticket item. But you know, maybe 1A and 1B is Sam Heward. Is he going to be taking starting snaps under center? That, like, Those are the two things that I want to know and we'll figure out very quickly as the game unfolds whether those two guys have an impact on the rest of this season or not, particularly in that game. So I'm keeping my eyes out for those two. I think that's kind of like a little bit of a cop-out answer if I'm going to dig a little bit deeper, you know, I know we mentioned wide receivers, but I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball and mm-hmm. our linebackers have been atrocious all year. And I'm a huge fan of Eddie. I think, you know, he graded out as the best returning linebacker. And I don't know if he's dealing with some injuries or whatever it might be, but he's not playing up to the potential or to the caliber that we've seen him play before in a consistent way. And, you know, I've been pretty harsh on Jackson Sermon his entire Husky career. My opinion of him hasn't really changed. I don't mean that in a negative, you know, 
I have nothing personal against him at all, but he's not getting the job done. He hasn't shown that he can. And I kind of want to see some fresh faces where let's see Danny, the hammer Hamuli get some more, more reps in the game. Let's have him start the game. Let's see him play with some aggression. And then where did Carson Bruner go? Like we saw him have a great coming out party in the second half against Arkansas state. Granted it was against Arkansas state, but it wasn't so much about the plays that he was making, but it was the tone and the violence and the aggression and the attacking nature that he was playing with. That is really intriguing and something that this linebacker court is really missing in a bad way. And so I want to see him get in the rotation a little bit. So I'm kind of keeping my eyes out again, like I said, ZTF at the outside linebacker position. Can he generate some pass rush and obvious passing downs? What does a snap count look like? Did we decide to make any change and try something different at quarterback? Is Sam Heward going to be the guy going forward? And then linebackers is the Achilles heel of this defense. Are we going to try anything different? Are we going to trot the same guys out there and get the same results? So I think through the episode, there's been a pretty common theme coming out of my mouth is it's not working. Let's just try something different. And I think those are the positions that to me will be the most obvious whether or not we're doing something or we're just staying status quo. Yeah. And you mentioned linebackers like the the linebackers have to play well in this game for us to have a chance. They have to tackle. Well, I wouldn't say they have to be like amazing, but they have to play well. Like they have have to play average. Yeah. They can't be bad, which they have been bad. Um, We can't, we cannot have guys that break through the line of scrimmage automatically get eight to 10 yards on our, on a run that, and that will happen in this game. These guys average six to seven yards a carry. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if the linebackers are not tackling well, this could be a long day at the office for the defense. And it's not even just tackling. It's where is the tackle taking place? Sure. Play recognition in general. Yeah. It's like to your point about Eddie's performance last week. Yeah. He had 14 tackles. But if you're just taking on a block five yards down from the line of scrimmage, you shed the block and begin your tackling at five yards, they fall forward for two more. That's seven yards. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, that math don't, don't work in football. (laughs) It don't like, I need need our linebackers meeting running backs in the fucking hole. We have not seen that. Yeah. And we need to. Yep. (laughs) So th- that's who that's who I'm I'm watching out for on the dogs. How about you? Yeah, if, I mean, if we're if we're staying on the defensive side of the ball, I just want to see Taki keep playing well. He's he's kind of I think been better and better each week, and I just want to see him continue to do that. I think he's becoming what I thought Thule was going to become this year, um, as far as just that stalwart at that on that defensive line, um, really owning that line of scrimmage and owning the interior of of the line um so i i'm hoping that he can kind of build off that i i, I would circle to atele and Tuli there as well i want to just see them as a group um build off of their performance against oregon state uh you mentioned Jalen mcmillan romo dunze those are your playmakers on offense man like get the ball in their hands and get it to them quick like those guys can make people miss after the catch i wouldn't mind seeing a bunch of screens and stuff in this game i think you could really 
um, exploit the weakness of this UCLA team. If you get the ball in your playmakers hands on the outside quickly and let them go to work on these, on, on these defensive backs that, you know, the one guy has made a bunch of tackles, but everything, everything else has been pretty poor for them on defense. Um, so I, I, I would like to look to, to us ex- to exploit that um, on the outside for talking the running back position too. I just want to shout out Kamari pleasant, just like we've railed on this dude for a long time. And he looks like the best running back on the team this year. If, yeah. if so long as he's holding on to the ball, he's had, he's a, he had a really bad fumble against Cal. That was yeah. against Cal, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but outside of that, he's, he's looked the most explosive. He's looked the quickest, um, maybe not the quickest feet. Cause Sean McGrew has like damn fast feet. Yeah. Um, but best he's been the best he, for sure. Yeah. He best vision. And he's, he's just had the best like complimentary of tools. He's he's I've liked the physicality that he's played with. He's finally brought that to the game that he hasn't brought in the past. He's yep. a big back and he can use that physicality, use his body to, to mow people over. And he's finally doing that this year, that third and 18, against Oregon state was fucking amazing. Would have been the play of the game if we won. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, so yeah, if you haven't folks go back and watch that play, uh, Kamari takes a short pass in the flat, makes a couple guys miss and then mows over a dude to convert a third and 18, right at the sticks. It was it, a thing of beauty, kind of crazy. Cause we were, we were way backed up. We had no momentum at that point, And that kind of got the offense going on that drive and, that turned into the Kamari pleasant drive. So that, that was cool to see. And I just want to see if, if he can build on that. And I think it's him and it's pretty obvious that it's him and grew uh, from, from here on out. I think Cam Davis is majorly in the doghouse. He had an yep. awful fumble against Oregon state that probably you could point to as a, as like one play that changed yep. the entire game. hundred um, percent. And it it was such a weak fumble too. Like, yeah, it was a butt fumble. Yeah such a weak fumble it, like ran yeah, it, into it was, the ass of our offensive line and it was literally Mark laid it on the turf but yeah at the running back position it was bad it was so bad newton's been injured for the right. last month and maybe he's back i mean maybe he's back now i don't know but i think we gotta we gotta um hopefully just get kamari and sean mcgrew going going in this game all right keys of the game how do we win this game sam you know, you don't have a prediction down below, so I don't. I know you're not feeling great about this game, but I know that you're also major homer when it comes to UW, and you don't like picking them to lose. So yeah, I, I don't know don't. where your head's at, and like, what, like, how do we win this game? What are you looking at for us to win this game? It's what I've been saying this whole damn episode. Start Sam Heward. Throw the ball all over the field. Get the ball into your playmaker's hands. Kamari Pleasant, you're going down the path of what he brings to the team, all the different elements. He's a damn, he's our best pass blocking running back and he's our best pass catching running back. So he needs to factor into the passing game more than he has as well. You mentioned the third and 18 play he made. So offensively, we need to get away from this run the damn ball mentality. I would love that if we could do it like Michigan does or UCLA has done or Oregon state has done, but we can't. So I'm going to go with what my eyes are telling me. We can't run the ball like that. And our best playmakers are outside. So let's throw the ball around, make a change at quarterback, bring Sammy the future in. 
And defensively, our linebackers need to tackle and finish plays. I think our defensive line took a major step up. I think they've been a little bit of a punching bag throughout the season, haven't played very well against the run. I thought they played a really good game against Oregon State. And so if they can continue that going into this UCLA game, our linebackers need to be there to clean up the plays that are designed for them to clean up. And we need to, again, like it's all the cliches, right? Have time of possession be even at least. Don't let them just run the clock, hold possession, and win the turnover battle. Like we are, we have been putrid. We're still in the minus. We're, I think, negative four in the turnover battle for the season. We finally created turnovers against Oregon State with two, a fumble and an interception, but we coughed up the ball ourselves twice. Like we need to win the turnover battle. And so until we do those things, like it's hard to predict that we're going to win a game. So that's where my head's at. I know those are really high level. You probably have a, a bit more specific keys to the game than, than I gave right there. But to me, that's re- what it really comes down to. Like, are we going to see, you've had two weeks to prepare for this game, two weeks to look at the last five games and see how broken things are. Mm-hmm. Is there any obvious indicator that we've changed anything, most namely our starting quarterback or our approach to offense in terms of passing more than running? And then defensively, can we get our linebackers to generate pass rush and tackle? That's it. If we do those things, I think we'll win. Yeah. Yeah. I can't argue with you there. Um, I, I don't think we want to grind it out game. I'll say no. I'll say that. Uh, in the past, I would have thought that that's exactly how we want to play. And going into this year, I would have thought that that's exactly how we want to play. But to the reasons that Sam just alluded to, that isn't the strength of this team right now. And I think there's one way that we win this game, and it's getting out to an early like two-score lead. So get a get a few explosive plays on offense, maybe early in early early going, and maybe force a three and out in there, or at least a punt, or or maybe a field, even if they just get a field goal or something. But get a couple scores up on them, force them to pass the ball, start getting some turnovers. Yep. And lean on lean on the strength of this team, which is their pass defense. So that's that's the way that i see that us winning this game um if we don't do that i think it's going to be tough i think we're still capable of somehow pulling out a out a game like that but i don't think it favors us at that point i think it favors ucla yeah and the weather again is supposed to be kind of it mixed bag on on saturday but it looks like it might be might be kind of wet so you could look at it that that could favor UCLA and their running game, yep. or it could also favor us being able to cause some turnovers. So you, you never, you never know where that's going to go and might be a wet football on, on Saturday. All right. We've, we talked some keys to the game here and, and how, how the Huskies would potentially pull off a victory. Let's talk about what actually happens. What's your prediction for Saturday? Well, we should talk what? about Justin's prediction first and then you'll go okay. and I'll go last. Sure. And, and I guess before predictions, I did want to just 
we've already said this, but this season's not over yet. <laughs> we're two and three. We're one and one in conference. It doesn't look good right now, but every team in the North has at least one loss. Yep. So it's all out there for this team to accomplish. They have a tough road ahead of them. They have some tough games coming up and it all starts against UCLA and they go on the road on a short week at Arizona. Who's not good, but it's a short week. Weird shit happens in Arizona followed by at Stanford and then you're at home against Oregon and then you're at home against ASU. Like that is a, that is a gauntlet of gauntlets as it comes to the PAC 12. Um, And then you got ASU. (laughs) That's what I said after Oregon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is it, isn't it ASU right after Oregon, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. At home. Sorry. Um, No, it's fine. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, that's a tough schedule and um, about as tough as it gets in the PAC 12. So it, Need, need to win this game, I think, on Saturday for us to have any kind of momentum or any kind of remote chance at turning this season around. I think this is for a bowl game. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, you would have to win one of the Oregon or ASU games if you lose this game Yeah, to make a bowl. So it it would definitely make it pretty tough to make a bowl. I think if, if you lose this game, but yeah, that uh, this is not only like bowl game though. I think like if you win this game, you, you look and you're like, okay. I mean, like if we win against Arizona, we're playing a big game at Stanford and like oh, yeah. you win, you win that game. And it's like, you have all the confidence in the world whenever Oregon comes to town. So like this, this could all change in a few weeks is all it that could. I'm saying. I hope it does. I hope it does too. I hope it does. So what happens Saturday, Sam? I'm going last. I'm going last. That's right. We talked to Justin. Justin, Justin is going to go first, and he predicts a uh, 27 to 20 UCLA victory. Shocker. I know that. I know that in texts like all week, he's been saying that like this is like legitimately the worst matchup for UW, um, and that this has a UCLA win all over it. I'm honestly surprised that he has it just a one score game. Yeah, uh, me too. He kind of alluded <laughs> it to it being, you know, like a almost like a 34 to 20 game type thing. Um, so that's that's the prediction that he has. We'll have to follow up with him and we'll follow up with him probably after the game to see how, how that prediction looks. He was the closest, uh, I will say, yeah. in his last prediction with the Oregon State game. Though, I will say, that's a, there's a big caveat there. His final score prediction was super close, but the way that the game panned out was not anywhere close to what he thought. He thought we were going to get like a garbage-time t- touchdown and Oregon yeah. State was going to have complete control of the game, which did not happen. Correct. Um, if anything, it was almost like the opposite of that. So, um, But yeah, his, his final score was the closest. So he... He, ha- he is the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to predictions as far as final score yeah. tallies goes. So um, I go, I, I see it going a different way. I, I do think that we, I do think that we, we make enough adjustments in this game. I don't, I, I also don't think UCLA is as good as people are saying that they are. Um, and I think the home crowd plays a, plays a role in this as well. And we get off to a lead and, you know, kind of just, hang on to it at the end. I think UCLA probably has the ball with a chance to either tie or take the lead late in the game. And the defense makes a key stop. And it's a lot, almost like that Cal game without the overtime. Um, And we end up 
winning 30 to 24. I think 30 is the key number for this offense. I think if we score 30 points, I honestly like our chances of winning this game. If we're under 30 points, I think it's it's a toss-up or or we're gonna lose. So Sam, yeah. what do you think? No, I totally agree. I think from an offense perspective, 30 is the number. Our defense really doesn't hardly ever give up 30 plus points. So if we can put up 30, we have a really good chance. I'm going to try to try to word this very carefully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really don't think that this is going to be a good game for the Huskies. And I think that it's entirely possible that we get blown out. Wow. But I'm the biggest Husky homer you ever going to know. <laughs> so Sam Hewitt's going to come in, light the damn scoreboard up, and we're going to win the, this motherfucker 38-17. to 17. You heard it here first. Whoa. We're going to come out throwing the ball all over the field. Sam Hewitt's going to hit Jalen McMillan for a touchdown, Kate Otten for a touchdown, Romo Dunze for a touchdown in the first quarter. We're going to be wow. up by three scores. They're going to have to rely on DTR's arm to pass. And I like that matchup with Kyler Gordon, Trent McDuffie, and Buki back in the lineup. It ain't going to happen. It's going to be a blowout victory, and the season is going to be turning. Jimmy Lake eats his humble pie, puts in the, the five-star phenom true freshman quarterback, and all things feel right in the world of purple and gold. 38-17, Huskies. Sam, I love it. I love it. The one thing that we haven't haven't mentioned too is that this is homecoming, and we're wearing we tend to play throwback. We tend uniforms. to play pretty well on homecoming. Yeah, I will say, like we tend to win our homecoming games. Oh, and the other thing I didn't mention is ZTF is back and he'll have three sacks. Nice. The only way he gets sacks is if we get off to a big league, though, because there's no way they're putting the ball in the air that much. If, yeah, which if, is if not, you know so. three first quarter passing touchdowns for Sam Hubbard, and things are going to be good. I love it. And I we're all going to be everyone. wondering why the hell he didn't play against Montana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you're right, Sam. I hope you're right. Uh, not only is it homecoming, but they are, they're wearing those throwback uniforms that we talked about earlier in the year um, for, for this matchup, uh, the throwbacks honoring the 1991 team. Um, so it'll be, it'll be cool to see those. I mean, I, I know that, you have a little bit of, pro of a problem with the helmet, but yeah. I think everything else we agree is looks, looks nice, looks clean. So um, I think those will look really nice on, on Saturday. I, I, I feel like it would look better if it was sunnier out and it's yeah. not going to be that, but um, you know but what number is going to look really nice in that Jersey. What, what's that? Number seven, <laughs> the lefty. <laughs> The smooth lefty. I love it. Yeah. Heard it here for heard it here first, folks. Hey man, like I said, I I have not been beating that drum nearly as hard as you have. And credit you because I look like an idiot right now to have been like, yeah, no, just keep going with Dylan Morris. He'll he'll turn it around. It'll be fine. Nope. <clears throat> do you do you literally think like it's it's as basic as if Dylan Morris starts on Saturday, we lose. And yeah. if Sam Heward starts, we win. Are you at that point? No, I, I wouldn't say that. The first part of what you said is true. If Dylan Morris starts, we lose. 
in a landslide loss. Like we're it's gonna go the way that you thought that it was gonna go, like or like that you kind of predicted it to go before your actual prediction. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like we're gonna get zero traction on offense with Dylan Morris. Our defense is gonna be out on the field the entire game like they have been. They're gonna get worn down by the rushing attack, and it's gonna be a terrible game for the Huskies if number nine's at quarterback. The second part of your equation there around if Sam Heward's a quarterback, we win. I'm obviously predicting that to be the case, but I don't really know. He's still a true freshman. I think yeah. we have a much better, much better chance to win, but it's also entirely possible that he's not as ready as I think he is. Sure. So it's possible, but I think the first part of that's for sure true. If, if Morris comes out, no changes have been made over the bye week. We're screwed. Thanks for taking my ending the podcast episode on a high to like, well, we're fucked if number nine goes out there. No, Sam, Sam, Sam Hewitt's going to start. You're Jimmy Lake is going to shock the world and start I'm putting it out Saturday. into the universe and it's going to happen. All right. I love it. Let's just end on that then. Any other uh, last minute thoughts then before we nope. sign off? Want to end on the, on the good note. All right. Cool. Well, big game on Saturday against uh, against UCLA, five thirty on Fox, I believe. Yep. So national TV um, for the second time, I think this year. So that'll be that'll be good to see. Hopefully, hopefully the dogs show out. Hopefully this team, hopefully this is the beginning of a turnaround this year, and they start playing the way that we we thought that they were capable of going into this year. Anyway. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Until next time. Go dogs.